1 Thessalonians chapter 5. A word that was written 2,000 years ago seems more relevant today than ever. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains. Uh oh. That was. Am I there? Yeah? Okay. It cut out. Oh, up, up here it did. All right. Will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For the day to surprise you like a thief, verse 5. For you are children of light, children of day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong today, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not destine us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Before we are seated today, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. And Father, right now we open our hearts to be pierced by your word. Correct us, change us, make us and mold us into your image, Father, for it is in your image that we want to be reflected. We want to be made in the sight of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, speak to your children today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Give your neighbor a high five. If my mic sounds different out there, you can bring me another one. It sounds different up here, but we keep rolling. It is A-OK. Today, I, I want to talk to you about the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. Come on, church. Today, more than ever, it seems in our generation, all eyes are looking to the future. And there are um, signs on social media and the headlines of the news. Is the end near? Is the end coming? And uh, I want to tell you today that we don't place our hope in the future on uncertainties. We don't place it on the media. We don't place it on anything but the Word of God. And the Word of God is true. So true, so accurate for today that it not only reflects what's happening in the past, it, re it reflects what's happening today and what's going to happen. And today we get the opportunity as followers of Christ to lean into God's word and to see what's about to happen. Uh, as you know, all eyes are on Israel at the moment. Um, and today we'll answer why that is. Why are all eyes on Israel? What is the significance of that? But in our current political climate, cultural climate, there's a lot of uncertainties. And the reason that all eyes are on Israel is because Israel is the prophetic clock that God uses for the end to come. And so we're going to see today uh, how we as believers can be ready for what's to come. And that we don't have to be uncertain. 
that we don't have to grieve as those who have no hope, that we don't have to shake or tremble with fear, but the end time does not scare me, it excites me. And today, I want us to know that Jesus is coming back, church. And, and, and the reason that it excites me is because he's coming back for me, that I get to go with him. And that's why I have hope today. And so we're going to talk about the rapture of the church. When Paul was writing to the church in 1 Thessalonians, and then again in 2 Thessalonians, he had to do it twice. Every chapter, he's talking about the return of the Lord. And the reason that he's talking about it is because the church was afraid that they had got left behind. Now, I don't know if you, if maybe you grew up in the 90s and you saw those films about like left behind and, and all this kind of stuff. Maybe if you, uh, especially if you grew up in a Pentecostal home in the 90s, uh, you had the Macaulay Culkin experience uh, quite often. You would wake up and your family wasn't there and you thought that the rapture came and everybody was gone and you were left behind, right? And, uh, and so we, it's on our minds. We think about it, um, quite often. But then something happens. We, we start to enter into a cycle in history where uh, we lose sight of what's to come. With every, history repeats itself, and you see with, with the cycles of history that during hard times, during times of emergency, the people of God have a sense of urgency. But when times of comfort come and blessings come and we're, we're living in the promises of God, then we can lose sight and lose our sense of urgency. And we can be focused on ourselves and me, myself, and I. And we can focus on just adding Christianity and adding the blessings of God to my life to make me prosper and to be better and to do better. And I lose sight of the mission. And so today I want us to rediscover the mission of the church. I want us to rediscover what the New Testament talks about. More than anything in the New Testament, the most significant truth actually in all, the, all Bible prophecy is the return of Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting to note that the return of Jesus is mentioned 329 times in the Bible. In the 216 chapters of this New Testament, the return of Christ is mentioned 318 times, just in the New Testament. So of the 329, 318 of them are in the New Testament. So on average, the return of Jesus is mentioned one in every 30 verses in the New Testament. There are only four books that are actually quite short, only four books that don't mention the return of Christ in the New Testament. And so the theme that we see throughout the New Testament is that Jesus is coming back. The way he ascended, he will descend. And this is not to make us scared or afraid. It is to bring us hope. Jesus was the first person in the New Testament to mention this rapture of the church. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we'll see Jesus talk about this. John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, will I not come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be? That's Jesus referring to the rapture. Take you. That word there means by force. He's yanking you up out of it. He's taking you 
to heaven. It's the rapture of the church because Jesus Christ is coming back and he's coming back for me. That's good news, church. You see, the two greatest events in human history are the first coming of Christ, which happened some 2,000 years ago, and then it will be the second coming of Christ, which feels like it could happen at any moment. And so we should be preaching the first coming, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Messiah, that he brings salvation, that there is no other way to God but through him. We should preach the first coming, but we cannot forget, church, that there's a second coming. That first he came humbly as a baby in a manger, but there will be a time that he comes on a horse with judgment, with a sword, where he will reign and rule as warrior. And today, whether you have views of pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, is, is the rapture separate from the second coming? Is it the same? All that we can lay all that aside and know the Bible is clear. He's coming back. And so whether you side with me that I think my best understanding of this is that we are pre-tribulation. The church will be raptured out before Christ comes to bring judgment. So the second coming of Christ is twofold in my opinion. There's going to be the rapture of the church that he spares us from the judgment and then he's going to come and bring judgment. And so that's my view. But the, the interesting thing that I found was that LifeWay Research says that only a third of preachers, of pastors, believe and preach that there is a rapture. Only a third of pastors will preach that Jesus is coming back for his church, that he is going to remove you from this world. So regardless of your views, the Bible is clear so much, scripture, verse after verse, that he is coming back. The biggest argument is, well, the word rapture, is not found in my Bible. And you can rebuttal that several different ways. You can say, well, the word Bible is not found in your Bible. But actually, the word rapture is found in the Bible. It's found in the Latin Bible. So if you had a Latin translation of the text this morning, you would see the word rapture in that. So I'd encourage you to dig into that. So don't let that defeat you. Oh, just because the word rapture is not in the Bible, it means it's not really true. We can rebuttal that very, very easily. Uh, the, the word rapture is a Latin word that's in the Bible. So let's just be very basic today to help us and equip us. What is the rapture? Well, if I could just give it to you in the simplest form, the Michael version of it. It's so simple. It is the removal of the church. It is the removal of the church. That he is going to remove his church from the world before he brings judgment, before he pours out the judgment. You know, you often hear people say, well, man, there's so much bad going on in the world. Why does God tolerate the evil? Why does God let bad things happen? Why are people going unpunished? Friends, make no bones about it. They're not. That there will be judgment poured out on the church, on the world. That evil will be accounted for. That there will be judgment. So in our small little lifetime when we see evil happening and very demonic things happening and we think they're just getting away with it. No, no, no. It's only for a moment because there will be judgment poured out on the earth. And so the word rapture literally means to seize or to lay hold of. It is a word that means to yank. I don't know if you ever yank somebody, right? You yank your children by their collar. Come on, come over here. Yank them by the ear. You yank them. It is, you're yanking them. The imagery there is just like a train, a car on the train tracks. 
coming and the car stalled and you're trying to yank those people out of the way or they're in this dire situation and you need to yank them away. I can remember a very comical story of um, um, me and a guy in the church were going hunting and we, it was bow season. We were going to scout out a place uh, to put our climbing stand to climb and it's still kind of hot about like what it is right now. And we're walking through the woods and this is actually the very first time that me and this guy have been hunting together. We uh, are, are just, you know, just going to do this. And so uh, we're going through the woods and he's in front of me. And we're walking through the woods trying to find the perfect spot. All of a sudden, I just push him out of the way. Just yank him out of the way. Just grab him and do this. He turns around ready to fight. Like, he's like, okay. Like, he was bebopping, but he was ready. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you don't see that. There's a copperhead right there. He almost stepped on it. You know, but I yanked him. I saved his life. And to this day, I let him know. Like, I saved your life, man. I saved you. I yanked you away from that. And But that's what's... The, there's... The wor- you think the world's bad, it's going to get worse. The Bible's clear. You ain't seen nothing yet. But the hope, the good news of our salvation is that God is going to yank us. He's going to yank us from this. And that, that, that's what Paul's talking about here. He's, he's referring to this in the text. He's saying that as a Christian, we should be aware of these things. We should understand these things. I would just love to circle back to the first couple of verses in 1 Thessalonians. Let's read it again because Paul says to the church, he says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, I have nothing to write to you. Why? Because they were aware. For you yourselves are fully aware. You understand. You know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Jesus actually referred to this in Matthew chapter 24. We're only going to read one verse right now, but I would encourage you to read all of Matthew 24. It talks about the second coming of Christ. Matthew 24, Jesus says, therefore keep watch because you do not know when the day of the Lord will come. Keep watch. And so what's Paul saying? What's Jesus saying? That we must be aware. We must be aware of the times that we live in. We need to understand what's going on. We need to understand biblical prophecies. And I'm not going to go through all the biblical prophecies. I know that more has been accomplished in the last couple hundred years than ever before. But there's so much biblical prophecies that have been fulfilled. And the next biblical prophecy to be fulfilled, the next event, if you will, is is Jesus coming for his church. And that's why all eyes are on Israel. Because those people who, who study this way better than me, they know biblical prophecy way better than me, They understand that in this prophetic clock, this timeline of events of what's going to happen next in biblical prophecy, the next event is Jesus coming back. And so they're they're looking to Israel to see, is this biblical prophecies unfolding before our eyes? And so, and we're not going to today try to um, hypothesize, or we're not going to try to come up with our version of this, or our thesis of it. We're not going to try to do any of that. Some would say that this is a biblical prophecy unfolding of Ezekiel 38. You can read that, 39, although we don't know yet. But we understand that when Israel became a country, a nation, in, in, in May 14th of 1948, I don't know if you know that or not, but they weren't a, from the destruction of in, in 70 AD until, until 1948, Israel was not a country. And that was biblical prophecy. Also, biblical, biblical prophecy says that a na- that nation will become a nation in one day. And they came a, became a nation in one day on May 14th, 
1948. And that started the clock. And since then has been conflict after conflict, war after war, battle after battle with this little bitty nation called Israel. Why? Because Satan understands that his destruction is coming. He understands that he's going to have to be cast into the lake of fire and will no longer be able to rule on the earth. And so if he understands that, if he, he understands he can't stop it, and so what, he's, what is he going to do? He's going to get as many people to come with him as possible. And that's what's been happening. And so ever since in our time of May 48, 1948 to May 14th, even the very next day, May 15th, they got attacked. It's crazy. Because the Bible said that this would happen. And so in an effort to be aware of our times, all eyes are on Israel today. And I would love for us to understand that, that this war that we see happening in Israel or conflict that you see is bigger than two people groups. That it's bigger than just Israel and Palestine. Or it's bigger, bigger than just Israel and Hamas. It is bigger than just these two people fighting. And so let's talk about it. Currently, Israel is fighting an Islamic terrorist group called Hamas. And Hamas is an Islamist militant movement. That's what they are by definition. And so behind Hamas is Islam. Because it is an Islamic task force. It is an Islamic movement. And so behind this terrorist group is Islam. And so let's expose Islam for just a moment. And then we're going to expose Hamas. Islam traces all the way back, and I, we don't have time to, to dig into this, but write some references down. Islam traces all the way back to Abraham, with Abraham and Sarah, with Abram and Sarah. And God gives Abram a promise. And this promise is huge. I mean, there's so much in it that he's going to bless them as a nation, that his descendants are going to be more, uh, more than the, the sand and more than the stars. Like, it's going to be so incredible. And through him, through his lineage, the Messiah is going to come. And, and through them, him, the 12 tribes of Israel are going to be birthed. Like, it's such a good promise. And God gives this promise to Abraham and Sarah. And while, and while that promise sounds good, Sarah is barren. The Word says she's beautiful, but she's barren. And so after sitting on that promise, Abraham and Sarah got tired of waiting, and they took matters into their own hands. Don't we do that quite often? God promises us something and we don't want to wait. And so we take matters into our own hand. And so Abraham sleeps with, with Hagar. Hagar births Ishmael. And then, then Ishmael is on the earth for about, I think, 16 years before Isaac, who God promised, comes. So God fulfills his, pro his promise through Isaac. And so now the problem is you have one promise and two sons. And so this is where Islam comes into play. Watch this. Through the, through the lineage of Isaac comes the 12 tribes of, of, of Judah, the 12 tribes of Israel, the lineage of the Messiah, God's chosen people, the blessings through Abraham right there. Through, Is, through Ishmael, some 2,500 years later, this uh, angel shows up, but it's not an angel, it's a demon shows up to a man named Muhammad, and Muhammad gets this, what he calls a divine revelation, but it is a demonic agenda that says, oh, no, no, the Jews got it wrong. They translated the scriptures wrong. It was not Isaac. Isaac is not the son of promise. It's Ishmael. 
And so that he rewrote most of the Old Testament so that it would look as if Ishmael was the son of promise. Thus, Islam was born. And so Islam is not an old ancient religion. Matter of fact, it's a new kid on the block. It didn't show up until 610 A.D. So 610 A.D., 610 years after Christ was born, then Islam shows up on the scene. 2,500 years after God had promised this, this to, to Abraham. And so we have the 12 tribes of Judah, but then we have the 12 tribes of Arabs. And this is where this battle has been going on. So what you're reading in the news today, hearing on social media, is nothing new. It's been going on for thousands of years, and it comes back to that promise that God made to Abraham. And so the devil, because the devil loves to corrupt everything that God creates, the devil has made it his mission, Satan himself has made it his mission to corrupt this thing, to pervert this thing, to twist it. He wants to cut off the promises of God. He wants to corrupt the seed of man and what God wants to do. And so we can see that Islam is a religion of death. And I don't even like calling it a religion, actually. I think it's a counterfeit religion. It's not a religion. It is a demonic agenda to control the world. In their charter, it says that they want to achieve a one-world government and a one-world religion, which is Islam. And they don't shy away from the fact of this. Islamics do not shy away from this. They understand because their Messiah has not come yet. And in order for their Messiah to come, a couple of things have to happen. First, the Jews have to be wiped off the, play, the face of the earth. Second, the Christians have to be killed. They either convert or they die. So Islam is a religion of death. If you do not convert, you die. And then once you do convert... Your highest achievement to please your God is to become a martyr and die. And so either way you, you cut it, either way you slice it, it is a religion of death. They say in order to please God, you must die. So perverted from Christianity. Church, can I tell you that, that our God does not need us to die for him, that he died for us. That it is a gospel of love and of sacrifice. And so they understand that as long as a Jew or a Christian is on the planet, their Messiah will not come. And so they have made it their mission. They have made it their mission to, to kill Jews and Christians. That's why you see this going on today. It is a demonic agenda from the beginning of time. And we need to understand that it is bigger than even Islam. It's bigger than Hamas, that it is spiritual that this battle that we are in, the battle, the war on Israel is a spiritual battle. It is spiritual. Satan trying to corrupt the plan of God. And if he can't defeat it, he is trying to pull as many people into his destruction as possible. Now for Hamas, we're seeing this terrorist group carry out this satanic, demonic agenda. They're calling themselves Hamas. It's an acronym in Arabic. It really just means an Islamic resistance movement, an Islamic resistance movement. It's a play on words for them. Hamas in Arabic means zeal. So not only is it an acronym that means this Islamic resistance movement, it's also an, it also means zeal for them. So they feel that they're being zealous for their God to push this agenda. And according to their charter, this is all public, you can Google it, they stand for a lot of things. Here's three that I found interesting. This comes in alignment with Islam. To kill the Jews, which they call Saturday people, because they Sabbath on the Saturday. 
They also called the Jews little Satan. I found that very interesting. So I had to discover what's big Satan. If, if Jews are, are little Satan, Satan, what's the big Satan? Satan. So not only do they kill the Jews, they want to kill the Christians, which they call Sunday people because we worship on Sunday, but they also call us the big Satan. In their charter, we are called big Satan. And then they want to achieve global rule. rule. So this is no new thing. This is the same beliefs as ISIS, as Al-Qaeda. This is just a local Palestinian expression of the same methodology and tactics that we've been seeing throughout the, throughout the wars for years, for thousands of years, that Satan is behind this. I, I have so much I don't, I don't have time for. The, the, from the Hamas charter, the commander of Hamas says this. This is a quote. This is a warning uh, to Israel. He says, the, the, the Israel is only the first target. And then he says this, the entire planet will be under our law. There will be no more Jews or Christian traitors. The entire kilometers, square kilometers of planet Earth will come under a system where there is no injustice, no oppression, no Zionism, which is the Jewish people, no Zionism, and no treacherous Christianity. In church, we are seeing the world buy into this. Maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't, of all around the, when this all broke out some two weeks ago. Universities and organizations in America siding with Hamas, siding with the terrorist groups, saying death to the Jews, kill the Jews. It's a demonic attack. Their unofficial motto, which is why you can't compromise with these people, their unofficial motto is we love death as much as the Jews love life. The reality is, is that they are just puppets. They're puppets of an even bigger thing. They're funded and trained by Iran. All their weapons are supplied by Iran. Watch who the United States gives money to. The CR play in this. But they, we are, they are supplied by Iran. So this is just a proxy war. It's bigger than Iran, though. It's bigger than Hamas. It's a spiritual battle. Satan and his demons have been filling people with hatred, people with violence, since the beginning of time. We see it in the garden. We see it next, chapter 4, with, with Cain killing Abel. We see it time and time again. It is a spiritual war. They're not just fighting over a strip of land called Gaza. This is a spiritual battle. And so if we're going to be aware of the times that we live in, we must understand that, like I said last week, everything visible and physical is just a byproduct of that which is invisible and spiritual. So behind everything we see going on in this world, there is a spiritual battle happening. And Satan and his demons are at war against God and God's children. And it goes all the way back to the garden. I put the reference in there, Genesis chapter 3. We'll read it just for context. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. After, the, after Lucifer, the snake, had deceived Adam and Eve... He says to the snake, God says to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, hatred, enmity, hatred between you and the woman and between your offspring or seed and her offspring, that's seed. So there's going to be a war between the seeds. 
you shall bruise, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so from the time that Satan and a third of the angels fell from heaven, he has been at war, at war against God and God's children. And we see that it is a spiritual battle that will continue throughout the generations. Not only Cain and Abel, we see it keep on going throughout the times. And if he can't stop what God wants to do, he's going to get as many people to come and to turn on God, to join him in their destruction. Now, in the New Testament, Matthew 24, we read a verse earlier, Matthew 24. There's another clue, a sign that Jesus gives us. Though we don't know the, the time or the day, we do have some signs. Jesus says it'll be like this. And he gives us things to talk about, things to look for, things to be aware of. In Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus says, For as were in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus likens the days of Noah to the days that when Jesus will come back. And there's many things that we can draw from the days of Noah. There's a lot of things in the Bible that talks about that. And I just, there's one thing that I found interesting today that I think is relevant for what we're seeing in our world today. And Genesis chapter 6 is where we read about the days of Noah. And Satan had deployed a plan to corrupt the seed of man. Because remember, this is a battle between offspring. And Satan deploys this plan to where these demonic beings are going to come to earth and they're going to mate with human beings. And the Bible says that it created Nephilim. It created giants in the land, men of the renown. And so it, when, these, when this demonic spirit came and lived inside human spirits, it created corruption and violence. I would encourage you to read about it. But it's because of this violence, because of this corruption, that, that God decided that he was going to flood the earth. That there was perversion in the land. There, there, was, there was all kinds of greed and, and, and this chaos and evil and wickedness in the land. And this violence had come in. And so I want to show you how demonic this is, how demonic and spiritual this battle is. From Genesis 6 all the way to what's happening in Israel today. In Genesis 6, verse 12, remember, Jesus said, when he's about to come back, it's going to be like this, the days of Noah. Verse 12 of Genesis 6 says that God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I want you to take note, that's why I highlighted it, the word violence. God says that the world was full of violence. That violence had come in. These demonic beings, these demonic beings had mated with humans and created violence. I want you to take reference of the Hebrew word right there translated as violence. The Hebrew word for violence is Hamas. Hamas. The earth was filled with Hamas because of demonic encounters with humans that have come in and possessed human beings and corrupted mankind. There were demon-possessed people ruling the earth. They were full of Hamas. Hamas. So in the days of Noah, there was a spirit of Hamas. There, and we see this some 63 times. The word Hamas is used in the Bible. 
And every time it's translated as violence, corruption, Hamas. It's, it's this wickedness that plagues the children of Israel. After, after people would attack them and attack them, these, these enemies had this spirit, if you will, this demonic spirit of Hamas to try to kill, steal, and destroy them. And we see that all throughout the Scripture. We see it today operating through the terrorist group that identifies as Hamas. We see it through Iran and Hezbollah and China and Russia. We see it taking place there on this earth right now is a spirit of Hamas. And back in Genesis, when the spirit of Hamas was present then in Genesis chapter 6, God had no choice but to bring destruction on the earth and to save one group of people. And that one group of people was not a people that was full of the spirit of Hamas. They were full with the Holy Spirit. It was Noah and his family who were found faithful with God. And God protected them from the destruction that was to come. That is imagery of the rapture. That that people in the world today that are living in the world but are not of the world, that are not full of the spirit of Hamas but full of the Holy Spirit will be saved, will be rescued from the destruction that is to come. That is the rapture of the church. And so today, may we be like the family of Noah that's not full of any other spirit. We say no spirit, but the Holy Spirit. No spirit of Hamas. And so we must be aware of the times. Jesus says, keep watch. Be aware. Understand. Know what's going on. Open up your eyes. Jesus said, wake up and look. And so may we be awake. May we be a church that is awake, not woke. A church that is leaning to the Bible to see what he has to say. And so Jesus said, be aware. So not only must we be aware of the times we live in, I want you to know as well, we must be ready for Jesus to return. We must be ready. Matthew 24, Matthew 24, verse 44, Jesus says, so you also must be ready. Not just aware, not just understanding the times, Not just knowing that it's coming, you must be ready for it because the Son of Man will come in an hour which you do not expect. And that's why I say that the the rapture is different. Maybe the first phase, if you will, of the second coming. We understand that for the final coming of Christ and judgment to be poured out, that there are some events that have to take place. We understand that. But the rapture, we don't know. There is no day or time. It can come like a thief in the night. At an hour when you are not expecting it, in an instant, in an instant, we can be raptured. And so, church, we have lost that sense of urgency. If we were to back up a few verses, I'll, we will read. I'm about to close in just a minute, but I want us to read a little bit more of Matthew 24. Just for context of what Jesus is talking about. Matthew 24, verse 40 says, this is what the rapture is going to be like. There will be two men in the field, one will be taken, and one left. Two women grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. One will be taken, and one will be left. The only question that comes to my mind, the only question that I can lay before us today, church, is are you rapture ready? 
Are you rapture ready? We can look at our world. We can see the times. We can try to come up with a timeline and pick a date. But Jesus said the date is unknown. When he will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. And Matthew 24 encourages us to be ready. To be ready. All signs would point that we need to be ready or ready now more than ever. I always say if I stay ready, I don't have to get ready. And so we're rapture ready. So the end times don't scare us. They excite us. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. My hope is in Jesus. And he's coming back for me. Jesus said, when you see these things happening, the world around you is going to hell in a handbasket, as some like to say. Don't freak out. This is what he said in Luke 21. He says, when you see these things take place, straighten up. Stand firm, as Paul said. Straighten up. Raise up your heads. Don't look at your current situation. Don't look at what you got right in front of you. Look up. Why? Because your redemption, your redemption is drawing near. As Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, it was leave your comfort, leave your life, and come and follow me. It was not a call to a comfortable Christianity. It was a call to crucifixion, to where when they would convert and give their life over to Jesus, it meant death. It meant that their family, their friends, those closest to them would abandon them, would hate them, And Jesus says there's going to be pain, there's going to be heartache, but your redemption is drawing near. There will be trouble, there will be sorrow, there will be death, but your redemption is drawing near. There will be people that deceive you, people that stab you in the back. There will be people closest to you that turn from you, but your redemption is drawing near. And so we look up, we look up. Keep our eyes on him. If we're not looking for him, we're not going with him. We keep our eyes on him. So today, practically, I want to really quick. How do I become rapture ready? Michael, what does it mean to be rapture ready? Number one, make Jesus your Lord. Make Jesus your Lord. That means I have to surrender to him. That I have to fully surrender. My, I'm not adding him to my life. He is Lord of my life. That I'm not going through this life just trying to do my, me, myself, and I, and I'm going to add a little bit of good Jesus to me. No, no, no. There's nothing good in you. You are all but wickedness and filthiness and brokenness. You have to surrender to Jesus. That's why Romans 10 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Number two, not only do I need to make Jesus my Lord, I need to walk with Jesus. Do life with Jesus. Every single day I am dependent on Jesus. Not my own abilities, not my own skill set, not my own desires, not my will be done, but his will be done. And so I walk with him. Colossians chapter 2 tells us therefore as you receive Christ the Lord you surrender to him so walk in him if you surrender to him walk in him be rooted and built up in him established in the faith 
just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So I am to be rooted. I'm to live the way he lived. I'm to learn his ways. How do I do that? If I want to live like Jesus, I've got to be close to Jesus. I've got to spend time with Jesus. I've got to pray and worship and do the things that God tells us to do. Jesus says, stay close to me. As the disciples would follow Jesus, the dust of Jesus' feet would come up and touch them. And their feet would get dirty with the dust of Jesus. That's how close God wants us to be with him. That as he walks, his dust gets on us. That we're so intimate and close with him. The perfect example of somebody in the scriptures that was rapture ready. They experienced an an individual rapture. There was a few of these in the Bible. Not talking about the corporate rapture of the church. But someone individually who got raptured. We see it in Genesis chapter 5. It says, Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. Raptured him. Let's learn from Enoch today and walk with God. He is the example to be rapture ready, to walk with him in a world full of hatred and division, full of violence, full of that spirit of Hamas. We can be a people full of the Holy Spirit and power because Jesus is coming back and I'm going with him. The question is, are you? Can we bow our heads in this moment and answer that question? Because it is God's desire that we would answer yes that we would make him Lord of our, of, his li- of our life and we would surrender to him because today is the day of salvation. Father, we bow before you today with the realization, God, that if you are not first, if you are not Lord, if you do not have full control of my heart, my life, then God, I am not living the life that you created me to live. And Father, in Western Christianity, in churches in America, it's very easy for me to just raise my hand, apply some biblical principles, repeat a prayer, and think that I'm saved but the word says that I must believe that you were raised from the dead I must confess with my mouth that you are Lord of my life and so Father in this moment by your Holy Spirit would you begin to draw people into a relationship with you wake those up that have been asleep wake them up to the condition of their salvation Father we don't want to manipulate or scare we, this is real stuff this is nothing this is not escapism where I'm trying to escape the terror that's to come. No, no, I want to live in the promises of God. And God, I want to be fully surrendered to you. And I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. God, I want to feel your presence. And so, Father, for those in this house today, they they would say they're far from you. They don't have a relationship with you. They have not fully surrendered their life to you. May today be the day of salvation for them. Father, for those in this house that may have the spirit of Hamas, of violence, a demonic spirit, we say no spirit but the Holy Spirit. We say no spirit is welcome here but you, King Jesus. May your spirit reign and rule in this house. May we surrender to you today. We commit to being aware. We commit, Lord, 
to being ready. And so deal with us today, God. Show us today the conditions of our heart. And Father, as people are bowed in prayer right now, Father, I believe that you're calling them to make some bold declarations. Your word is clear that if you deny me before man, I deny you before my Father. God, I want to be a church on fire, a church not frozen with fear, a church that is not woke but awake, ready for the coming of Christ, a church that would roar like a lion in the, in the darkness, in the defeat, God, that we would stand victorious, Lord. And so, Father, I believe in this house right now that you are doing a mighty work. Speak to your children, Lord. And as God is moving on your heart right now, church, if you're here in this place and you, before you heard this, you would, you would say, I, I thought I was ready, but now because of the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit of what he's doing in my heart, I wasn't ready. And today is the day that I get ready. I'm surrendering my life to Christ. I'm giving my life fully over to Jesus. If that's you and today is the day that you're making that decision, would you lift up your hand and boldly declare that today is the day of salvation for me and my house. I am giving my life to Jesus Christ. Thank you. All over this house, will we stand to our feet? Today, we're going to begin to respond to what God's doing in our life. For some, you came back home. You, you gave your life to him a long time ago, and you veered off the path. And now, today is the day where you come back to the Father. For others in the room, there's those who are giving their life to Christ for the very first time. We're going to move now from reflecting on that to now responding to that, to what the work of the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. And our prayer team has already made their way to the side walls for prayer. They want to intercede on your behalf. They want to lift you up and and talk to you and encourage you and go to God on your behalf. Maybe for salvation. Maybe for healing, for restoration. Maybe there's a need in your life and you need God to move in a tangible way. They want to pray for you. For the rest of us, we're going to worship. We're going to respond to what God's doing in our life, what he's doing in this country, what he's doing through our church. We're going to respond and king him, crown him king of our hearts today. So Father, right now in this moment, we we pray to you and respond to you out of of, uh, worship and and, and we just want to bring adoration to you, God. We want to exalt you today, God. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can stand victorious. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be unaware. We thank you, Lord, that we see the signs and we are ready. God, we are ready for you to take your church. God, whenever this happens, it could be right now, Lord, we stay ready and we worship you. We worship you here now and forevermore. And so, Father, touch your children today as we respond and worship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's worship Jesus.